So I get to sit in a really awesome seat here at First City. I got hired a few months ago as the operations pastor, and it is just so amazing to see how generous First City really is here. I mean, we had people donate um, money for kids to go to camp who they've never even met before. They don't even know these kids, and they gave money, and they were like, we want people to go experience Jesus in a different way outside of their day-to-day lives. And those kids got baptized, and those kids rededicated their lives, and it, they're changed forever now because they were generous and gave that money. But even outside of that, we have so many different people who may not be able to give that way, but they give in other ways. Like the wise men, they serve so well here, and they're so generous and everything that they do, they are always calling and asking, how can we help? How can we How can we benefit other people? And it's just, it's awesome to watch from afar and look back and be like, we are a church full of generous people. It's just, it's amazing. I get to see women and children and students from all different ages come together and serve. I mean, every Sunday here, that's how we run is through volunteers, through people coming and serving and being generous with their time because time is valuable. And we have so many people give that up every week just to make our church better and to help people grow into a relationship with Jesus Christ, which is what we're here for. I see so many people, you know, every day that are so wounded and have so much trauma in their lives because somebody that they were close to was so selfish. And it's just, you know, people have to deal with this for the rest of their lives because of something that somebody else did to them or somebody, you know, didn't take care of them, like children in foster care. That's a great example of somebody who it is completely out of their control of how, you know, all the things that they go through as children, but they deal with that for the rest of their lives. And it's just, it's sad to see that. It's sad that they have to go through that. I think one of the best things we do as a church is serve day every spring. Um, we get so many letters every year from people who we've gone and served, and it's so encouraging to open those and read how how our small church impacted such a big community. Even if it's going and putting a fence up, going and painting picnic tables, going to pick up trash on the side of the road, or giving their dogs dog treats, or any any of those things. It's so small, but it makes such a big impact for our community and it's it's exciting to see like we're, we're still growing we're still making this bigger and better and I just can't wait to see in the future like how we can continue to show generosity to our community amen well good morning our video was having a hard time rendering wasn't it I don't know what was but Savannah you did such a good job thank you for doing that on our video yeah you can you can clap for Savannah you know, we hired her on April Fool's Day. I don't know what's up with that. But, uh, but we hired her, and we didn't hire her as an administrative assistant for our office. We hired her, you know, to be a pastor. And so she's like our connection pastor. She's over all of our facilities. And, and this is what Savannah, first of all, she just turned 22. And, and, and I, I want to brag on her for a minute, if you don't mind. I have never seen someone at that age be so organized. She gets more done in four hours than most people get done in a day. And so, yeah, so you can applaud your, hold your applause till the end because I have several things to say about Savannah. Most of it's good. And she's so organized and detailed. 
And, and so it doesn't take her hardly any time just to lay out what needs to be done. And she's so intentional with her time. She just stays on it until it is done. Ever known anybody like that? Or they're just that proficient, that just intentional with everything they do. But what she loves is partnering with you to help you use your life, your gifts, your talents to do something in the name of God. And so she spends a lot of time with Taco Tuesday, our young professional group, helping with the dance and other people who are organizing that whole ministry. She loves that. She spends a lot of time organizing and working with our student ministry. And all she wants to do is, is be kind of like a coordinator between everybody in our church and all the ministry opportunities in our community and around our building. She does a fantastic job with not just in the video, but with the way she lives her life and what she's doing. And we are honored to have her on staff now. Would you tell Savannah, thank you for me. Just in all, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you. She is a really good example of just someone who just lives a generous life. All I want to do is just serve other people. And, and you do the same thing, by the way. So this is the last week. In our series, I've enjoyed the series, This Is Us. Because we said, you know, we know what our vision is. We want to lead people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. We know what our mission is, how we do that. In one of four ways, we want to help partner with people so that they'll know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in our community. But people are asking, but who are you? I want to know who you are, especially if I'm looking for a church and I'm looking to see, can I trust you? Can I partner with you? And, and allow God to use me like he's using you so that we can accomplish something in this city so great only God gets the credit. Only God gets the glory. So we thought, okay, well, who are we? Here are our core values. And we put down these five values. We, we made a list of over 30, you know, different character qualities of Jesus that we loved. We narrowed them down to our top five that we wanted to be examples of who we were and how we live a life and how we do ministry. First, we want to be authentic. We just want to be real. We want to be genuine. We, just, we don't hide our mistakes and our flaws. We just want to be family. We don't want to put on religious air. We just simply want to give our whole hearts to God and partner with each other in the process. And we want to be relevant. We want our message to be simple and practical, something we can use every day. And we want to make sure that we're being relevant to everybody else in the community so that if they have a need, if they're trying to find God, they can easily partner with us. And who doesn't want to have fun? We want to be enjoyable, meaning we not only want to live a life of joy, but we want God to use us to bring joy into other people so that they can love life and give themselves to God. And then by being diverse, we want to value everybody. We want our church to look like the community. And we want to make sure that no matter who people are, no matter where they're from, what their background is, their social status, where they are in life, they feel comfortable here. And we can partner well with everybody because God does not want anyone lost. Amen? He wants everyone saved. And so we have to get outside oftentimes our own you know, comfort zones. We're not a Republican church. We're not a Democrat church. We have both in here. And to me, I love it because it serves as an example to our world, to our nation, as to how people can come together in the Lord and do something for God and honor each other in the process. And so, man, I hope that you will join us in that. And then today we're going to talk about being generous with eager willingness. We wholeheartedly give ourselves to God 
and to others. Now, typically, when you hear a sermon on generosity, we talk a lot about the three T's, about time, being generous with our time, being generous with our talent, and being generous with our tithe. So that's our finances, that's how God has gifted us to use our talents, and with offering our time in service to other people. Today, I want to take a step back from that and just talk about a heart of generosity, the type of person that is generous, and the challenge to what that looks like every day. Because even though we all want to carry in us a spirit of generosity, you know, the the scriptures say it's easy to be generous, to be friendly, to be nice to people who are nice to us, right? But do we have the capacity to be nice to people who are mean to us or rude to us? And it's like Jesus was saying, anybody, it, anybody can be friendly to people who are friendly to them. But what I've called you to do is to be generous to people who might even want to take advantage of you. Can you do that? Well, why would I want to do that? Well, because I'm trying to change them, God says. I'm trying to save them. And if you walk away from them like everybody else walks away from them, How in the world will they be saved? So here's our challenge for generosity. So let's just look at the definition. We'll start there and then make our way through our message today. So the definition for generosity is of a person showing a readiness to give of something. I'm just, I'm ready to give. What do you need? Uh, How can I help? And just being willing and ready and able, you know, to do that. And then of a thing larger or more plentiful than is usual or necessary. This is one thing that I love about you. I was trying to think about this earlier, and I was asking Alan Dunn, one of our shepherds, and Leon, you're up here, so I'll ask you too. Those, some of you who started this church before I got here, church started in 2002. I didn't come till 2007, you know, but since I've been here, in the 11 years that I've been here, I was trying to think, was there ever a time that we had a, a, a call to the church to help us meet a need, and we did not meet that need? Can you think of a time? Leon, can you, Jesse? I mean, I know there are some really big needs that we have out there right now. we got some big ones in front of us, right? But I was just trying to think, has there ever been a time where we really needed to help somebody and we put a call out for that? And it could have been as simple as somebody needs a baby bed or a washing machine to something even larger. And trying to think, was there ever something that was really important? We put out a need and that need was not met. I can't think of a time in the 11 years that I've been here. And so if I could just pause right now at the beginning of my message. Thank you. Just thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being that kind of a church. Now, maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, well, I put in a need in mine. It didn't, you know, so maybe you know of one. But I think if that happened, it's unusual. It's not like us. You are a generous church. You give when you don't have to. And I just want to tell you thank you. Just thank you. Now, as God continues to move us even deeper, what is he calling us to do? And how is he calling us to do it? And how can I get more involved? Because there are times when I want to pull back. There are times when I do not want to be generous. So let's just now look at the principle of generosity. 
And so the principle of generosity, and there's an outline in the pew rack in front of you if you want to get a pen and you want to keep notes and fill in the blanks. The fill in the blank is the principle of generosity on this number one. And it comes out of Proverbs chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, these two scriptures together. And he says in verse 24, give freely and become more wealthy, be stingy and lose everything. Now, that's the way that God designed money, finances, uh, uh, the principle of generosity to work on this earth. You may be brand new to Christianity. You may be brand new to just trying to figure out, is there a God and what does he have to do with my one wild and precious life? Should I follow him? Well, here's the principle, which means this is always true for all time, everywhere. Amen. That was true in the 1600s. It was true 2,000 years ago. It will be true 2,000 years from now if that's how long before God calls the world to an end and, and we go and spend eternity with God. That if you're stingy, if you try to hoard and keep, you'll lose everything. But if you're just generous, if you freely give, God will give you more. And then second, it's not about your finances. Verse 25 says this, The generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. If you're like, all I want to do is go help people. And if you look at Jesus' life, he didn't have money. He didn't have a job. He had one change of clothes, and he wore it. And he had one pair of sandals, and he was wearing them. And he had this renegade group of followers called apostles, and they traveled from city to city. And all they wanted to do was help and bless people. And that's how he lived his life. And it radically changed the world. And he trusted that God would take care of him while he was trying to be a blessing to people. That's the principle of generosity. So when you begin to evaluate, am I generous? It's not really how much of your income do you give, you know, to the local church. It really is how willing am I to give of myself to other people who could use more happiness, more joy, more help, more friendliness, a good friend in a time of need, those kind of things. Do I refresh other people? When I walk into work and I'm coming down the hall, who do people see? Another source of stress or a source of strength? Do they hide their face from me? When, oh, here they come again. I'm going to look busy so I don't have to engage them. You know, or are they like, man, I'm glad to see you. Right? So do I refresh us? So that's the principle you know, of generosity. Now, here's the challenge to generosity. And so number two in your outline is the challenge of generosity. And, and, and so I want to give you the whole story. I've only given you verses 9 through 15 in your outline, but I want to start in verse 1. So all these people are gathering around Jesus, and they're just trying to figure him out. You say you're the Son of God. I don't know if I believe that or not. You say you're the Messiah. I'm just trying to figure that out. You travel from place to place. You have no place to lay your head. You, have, you, you don't have a job, and yet you're speaking for them. I'm just trying to figure out, should I follow you or not? What does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to do ministry? And so Jesus gives them this parable as they're just trying to figure out what are they going to do with their life and how generous of people are they going to be. So he gives them this parable. This little, so it's a made-up story with a point. And so verse 1, he's like, okay, so there was this man, and he owned a business. He owned a vineyard. And so he came into work, uh, I mean, he came into the city, and he went down that street where all the day laborers gather. 
You know, all those people who don't have a job, but they'll jump in the back of a truck if you'll pay them cash at the end of the day just to work. You know what I'm talking about, right? So Jesus goes to all these day laborers. I mean, uh, he's giving this story. So here's this man, and he goes and he says, hey, who wants to go to work today? And all these guys gather around. I do, I do, I do, I do. And he's like, okay, well, I'll tell you what. I'm going to give you a good day's wage for a hard day's work. Would you like to go to work? Yep, 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 yep. Jump in the back of the truck, jump in the back of the truck, jump in the back. You, 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 Go. He gets in and he takes off. And so the, the, in the parable, in the story, the guy does it at 9 a.m. He comes back at noon and does it again. He comes back at 3 in the afternoon and does it again. And then at the, near the end of the day, he's just walking downtown and he goes by that same street and he looks over and there's still some guys standing there. And the man says, why didn't you guys go to work? And they said, nobody would hire us. There was nobody here. Well, do you want to work? Yes or no? And they're like, yeah, we'll jump in the back of the truck. Come on, I got work to do. So they jump in the back of his truck at 5 p.m. They go and he sets them out and they only work for one hour. The end of the work day is six o'clock. The horn blows. And all the guys come to get their money. And this is where we pick up the story. So in verse nine, it says this. When those hired at five o'clock were paid, each received a full day's wage. How many want to go to work for that guy? When those hired first at 9 a.m. came to get their pay, they assumed they would receive more. But they too were paid a day's wage. Go to the next scripture. When they received their pay, they protested to the owner. Those people worked only one hour, and yet you paid them just as much as you paid us, who worked all day in the scorching heat. And he replied, Friend, I haven't been unfair. Didn't you agree to work all day for the usual wage? Take your money and go. I wanted to pay the last workers. The same as you. And then he concludes by saying this. It is, is it against the law for me to do what I want with my money? Should you be jealous because I am kind to others? So the people who went to work at 9 a.m., they needed a job. They were looking for a job. They wanted work. They needed money. And they were glad to get it. They jumped in the back of that truck and they made an agreement and they went to work all day for a day's wage. And then they watched him come back and dump people off at 12. And they started working. They're like, well, we worked harder than they did and longer than they did. And then he came back at three with more workers and they had to show them what to do. And they worked harder and longer than they did. And then he shows up at five and the people barely even figure out what it is they're supposed to do by the time the whistle blows. And then they all come to get paid. And the people who showed up at 5 o'clock got a full day's wage. And they protested. Hey, what's fair about that? They didn't work all day in the heat. They came at the end of the day, barely got started. I had to show them everything to do. And you paid them as much as you paid me. Not fair. So now. What's the point of the story? Show up at five. 
That's really funny. <laughs> that reminds me of Charles Lamb. Charles Lamb gave this quote. He said, I show up late every day for work, but I leave early to make up for it. <laughs> That's the way to work right there. What's the point of the story? Show up at five? Ah, the heart behind it. Very good. It is a story about heaven. There are those who live for God all their life, struggling against the work of the enemy, struggling to do what is right, living out the principles of God. And there are those who live their whole life against God and the things of God. But at the twilight, in the last hour of their life, see the light change and say, I have been wrong all my life and I too want to be with God forever. And he saves them just like he does those who responded early in his life. That is a great point of the story. Even though as great of a point as that is, that really wasn't the point that Jesus was trying to make when it comes to living a generous life. I'm going to give you what I think, but this is what I love about Bible. Jesus just tells the story and he lets you go away and decide, what am I going to do with that? This is what I walk away with. Those who went to work at 9 a.m., and then watched how generous he was to everybody else that they had to train. And then they got paid a day's wage but felt like they got robbed. How many of them do you think came back and worked for the same guy the next day? Would you have? At 5 o'clock. I'm not showing up until five. I I see how this works. I think that's a really good, honest answer. Because don't we do that? Why should I work so hard all day when the boss lets them get away with not? Come on. I mean, I know we all want to say, oh, yeah, I would have showed up the next day at nine, and I would have said, that's fair. My heart's perfect. But I think in truth... We all struggle with this. We so much want to look for what is fair, what is measured, what is calculated. And everything in our life, it seems, all around us, the whole world operates off of that standard. And I'll do it if you do, and if you don't, then I won't. And how? why should I partner with you if I'm going to do all the work? And I don't get it, I don't see it, I don't understand it, and I'm not going to, and... And so if I can't figure it out, if I can't calculate it, if I can't measure it, this is what I wrote down. Life is so measured and calculated. We evaluate with quotas. We measure capacity. We calculate ratios. We define success with ROI. And before we invest, we try to eliminate all the risk or we don't do it. By the way, is there anything wrong with that? I don't want to answer. I don't want to get it wrong. (laughs) Nope, there's nothing wrong with any of that. But this is what I wrote. However, when it comes to saving souls, yours and other people who may not live right but need to go to heaven. When it comes to saving souls, 
The word God uses for our decision strategy is faith. We need to believe that he is greater than our calculated wisdom. If the world dies of generosity, the world will be lost. When people quit giving because it's not fair or it's not convenient or because I don't want to. Because, see, and sometimes it's not even, it's not even that. It doesn't take much for us to turn our backs on other people. Well, I was just standing there. And there were three of us, and you went up and you said, hey to that person, and hey to that person, and hey to that person, and you didn't speak to me. So, okay. (laughs) All right. I'll see how that works. You know know what I'm saying? It's, It's, you're generous, you're generous, you're generous, you're generous, but not to me. So why should I? See, I mean, I think if we're... If we're honest, we often find ways, excuses, justification for not being extravagant in our generosity to people. Maybe it's because we don't want to get hurt. Maybe it's because we don't want to give and it not be returned. I don't, I don't know. So I wrote down the call of generosity. And I think our real question is, would I have gone back the next day? I mean, if I'd have gone at 9, and I'd have trained the people at 12, and I'd have trained the people at 3, and I'd have put up with the people at 5, and watched them get a full day, would I have gone back the next day? Would I have been motivated to work just as hard for that generous man the next day? So the call of generosity, number one, is forgiveness. How how forgiving am I when people don't deserve it? So Peter goes up to Jesus, and this is what the law said. The law said that if somebody asks for forgiveness, you should forgive them up to three times. Now, this comes from the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, if one person wronged another person, then that person, and he comes and says, forgive me. And the person says, no. Okay. They should come back a second time. Forgive me. No. Okay. Come back a third time. Forgive me. The law said, if they don't forgive you the third time, you are no longer held responsible by God for your wrongdoing. You, by God, have been forgiven. Now, the, 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 the worst, the crime that you did wrong is now on the person who won't forgive you. And so Peter comes to Jesus and says this, Hey, how many times, Lord, should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? Which is really generous when the law only said three. And Jesus is like, are you trying to calculate how generous you're going to be? Is that what you're trying to do? How, how much will I put up with these other people who are really driving me crazy? Well, no, not seven, but 70 times seven. Which, if you think about it, means you mean 
I'm not, I don't have justification for walking away from that relationship ever. Wait a minute, 409, how am I going to, I'll need a notebook. How am I going to keep up with that? I mean, the answer is, when do you think it's ever right to walk away from somebody who needs God? And his question is, when did I walk away from you? When do you want God to stop forgiving you? Just tell him when that is, and that will become the rule for when, you know, you can stop forgiving somebody else. So it's like, do you feel justified to to get away from that person because they've wronged you? I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I know I keep saying I'm sorry, but I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And don't we come back and say, listen, at some point it's not enough to be sorry. You got to stop it. Well, there's nothing wrong with that. But what's in my heart and do I have a heart of generosity? Here's another one we, we struggle with. On the next page, responses. Just the way we respond to somebody. And so Peter's talking about it, and First Peter says this, Don't repay evil for evil or retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. Wow. Just, man, forget all the rest of the Bible. Just try to practice that one verse. Because when people insult me, I feel justified in walking away from them. Am I generous in my responses so that when people insult me, can I see the bigger picture, extend them a blessing, and trust that God's going to take care of me in the process? And here's another one, judgment. When it comes to judging people and how they live and whether or not I want to partner with them, Matthew chapter 7 do not judge others and you will not be judged. For with the treatment you treat, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you'll be judged. He's like, okay, look, set the standard. I'll even, God's like, I'll even allow you to set the standard. And whatever standard you set, that's what you can expect from me on the day of judgment. Oh. Wow. And now I began to evaluate, okay, how generous am I? Or am I always finding it easy just to walk away from people who I disagree with their lifestyle or their decisions? And then finally, loving everyone. Just how am I going to love everyone? And it's not just the people that are friendly to me. Matthew chapter 5, you've heard the law say, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. In that way, you will be acting as true children of your Father in heaven. In all of these situations, it's easy for us to walk away. I wasn't treated fairly. You didn't talk to me right. You didn't do what I thought you should be doing. You made lousy decisions. I am not going down in flames with you. Bye. Okay, well, I understand that you have to have some boundaries. And this is all he's talking about. He's not talking in everything. He's saying... When it comes to the saving of souls, are you generous? Now, I feel like I need to be, you know, really clear here. Because there are people who've been really beaten up badly in marriages, in business deals, 
And I'm not saying that someone is ever justified in abusing you. Ever, 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 ever. Don't let that continue to happen. But when it comes to the saving of souls, can I put up with some insults or people making bad decisions in order that they can be saved? Yes or no? So, how was this past week in a conversation, we've had several conversations about what are we going to do, you know, as a church and how are we getting involved. We've been talking about foster care a lot and our situation in, in Escambia County has really gotten into a, it's, it's, it's been in a crisis mode for several years now, but it just took another step in, I feel, a bad direction. And it's almost like the people who are making the decision for the state had no other choice. There are no homes for children to go to. They're out of homes. They're out of beds. We need to qualify people for foster care. And those who are in foster care, those of us who don't, don't want to necessarily do that, which is fine, but we should really wrap ourselves around those who do foster care and support them strongly. Because 40% of people who get involved in foster care quit after one year. That is the frontline battle of the enemy. Widows and orphans, widows and orphans, widows and orphans. And the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy them. But this week we got bad news that in Escambia County, they had to change the criteria that they use for, for when they would remove somebody from a home. In other words... You have to sit and ask, how bad does it have to get for a child the abuse, the neglect that they are receiving in a home before we'll remove them? If you have plenty of beds, you have plenty of homes, you have plenty of places for them to go, then you can have a high standard for how children ought to be treated. But if you have no place for them to go, this past week the decision was made. A child has to be in high danger of being molested or murdered before we can remove them from their home. That's just unacceptable. And this crisis is going on around us, and we're getting involved. You're going to be hearing more about it. We've been meeting and and putting together systems and strategies and all the stuff that we want to do. But it's so urgent now that we've really, we're already trying to qualify foster care people and support those who are doing foster care. We're already doing all of that stuff. But in the middle of these conversations, as we're trying to decide, okay, well, now the system has changed and we have some people and they can't be moved and what are we going to do and how are we going to help them and, and not help them? And I was in a conversation with someone and this is what I said. I had no intention of it not being a, a good statement, but this is what I said. We've got to put some kind of strategy together because right now what we're offering, what we're doing, it's not sustainable. Very calculated, very measured. And the response came back from this beautiful woman. You don't understand. Right now, I'm at the doctor's office. And I've got a, a child in the back room. And I just found out they've got scarlet fever. So highly contagious, I can't leave. 
They have no way to pay for it, so I'm being asked to pay for it. I've got four other kids out here, and I don't know where I'm going to go or what I'm going to do, and right now, nothing in my life feels sustainable. But I cannot walk away from this urgent need. I just felt, I felt that high. I, I just felt so bad. And not that they wanted me to feel bad. They didn't want me to feel bad. What they're saying is, I've made a decision. I'm getting involved. And I don't know how it's going to come out. But I trust God that he will take care of me as I reach out and try to help care of others. And I'm asking you, as a church, is that what we mean when we say being a church that is generous? So I've written down three things. How can we get started? What do we need to do to help? How can we get involved? And it starts in the mind. The first thing I have to do is decide I'm getting involved. I'm helping. It's, I can no longer just live my life getting up in the morning, taking care of myself, going home at night. And it's easy for me because I'm older. My kids are grown out of the house, you know, and, and so I can... You know, hey, I've been thinking about retirement. Hey, I've been thinking about living. living up. And, and I can just be to myself. Really? Really, really, really? If the call is huge, I've got to rethink. And it starts in my mind. Am I going to get involved? Yes or no? That's where it starts. This is rhetorical. Are you going to get involved? Yes or no? Are you going to get involved? Are you going to be generous? Because the need is huge. And there's a big crisis. It's not just for foster care. There are other things. But that's where it starts. In my mind, I've determined, okay, I'm going to live a generous life. Then number two, how does that show itself in the way I interact with people? And so in the three things I wrote down, number one, become uh, more balanced in courage and consideration. So balance, courage, and consideration. And some of this is with our decisions, but it's also in all of our interactions with people. Now, this is a really good tool when it comes down to how you communicate with other people. Especially if you have a spouse or if you have a best friend or a neighbor who is always telling you that you're intruding on their property and you need to move the fence and quit cutting their grass and all that. Or you have someone at work who's always thinking that you're trying to steal their projects and and steal all their thunder and... How am I going to interact with him? What conversations am I going to have? So Stephen Covey has this thing where he talks about balancing courage and consideration. And here's the grid. So if you look at the grid, and up on one side of the axis, it's talking about courage. So it's having the courage to say what needs to be said. Oftentimes we're in conversations, and we walk away from those conversations, and we didn't tell people what we really needed to say. Maybe we're too afraid or we just hit it. We didn't say what needs to be said. At the high end of that, I said everything that needs to be said. Now, in all things, it needs to be said with grace and love. Amen? So if you, if you need to say something to me, come on. You know, you can say it. Hopefully, you won't have to filter how you say it. You're going to know that I'm going to love you unconditionally so you don't have to worry about all of that. That's what you, you should expect. And we should expect that from each other. But that's not always the way it goes, is it? Right? Especially when our emotions are involved. So there's the courage. And then on the consideration, am I listening well to everything that the other person wants to say? 
I've got no consideration for what you want to say, or all the way to I'm a great listener and I heard everything that you said. I wasn't just waiting for my turn to talk. Now, this is what I did when I did my grid. I did it and then I said, well, where am I? Which box am I in when it comes to my wife? Which box am I in when it comes to my son, Jonathan? Which box am I in when it comes to my daughter, Jennifer? And I discovered that I was in three different boxes with the three most significant people in my life. The way that I communicate with my son, I was way up here in the high-low. I say what needs to be said, and I'll tell him what I think he needs to do, and I shut down listening. I don't mean to. I just do. And he's so tender-hearted. He's like, okay, Dad. Now, listen, he's getting older. He's like, hey, hey, I didn't ask you for advice. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask you to fix it. I just asked you to listen, right? And so, so I've already confronted him with this, and I'm trying to do a much better job. My wife even opened my eyes to it, but I thought, that's where I default. When it comes to my wife, I really want to be on the high, high. We really are really at courage and consideration. I say everything I want to say to her. And she makes sure that I hear everything she wants to say to me. And I really think we do a good job at talking through all of the stuff and hearing each other well. Otherwise, you don't stay married for 37 years or however long it's been. Babe, I love you. <laughs> so there, high, but high, high. With my daughter, I'm over here in the low high. She's headstrong and she knows where she's going and what she wants to do. And in any interaction that I have with her, she says everything she needs to say. And I find myself shutting down going, okay, all right, okay. <laughs> and in my head, I'm going, good luck with that. But, <clears throat> but out of my mouth comes, okay, all right. And I walk away with not say, where are you in all of your significant relationships? And how can we do a better job balancing with love and grace what needs to be said and really listening well so that we can come to a place where we feel free to be generous with each other, a trusted environment. So I think that's the next step. The the next one after that is commit to deeper levels of generosity. Commit to deeper levels of generosity. No generosity says this. I'm in for it for what I can get and get out of it. I'm only here to please myself. And so I win. I don't care if you do or not. It's no generosity at all. All I want to do is win. The next level is mutual benefit. Win-win agreements. The next level is I win and you win. I win and you win. I'm getting what I want. You're getting what you want. We both win. Let's do that again. Right? That's the next level. The third level, and this is when it comes to the saving of souls. That's our whole premise of what we're talking about. We need to get to the place where Jesus said that he was, which is, I have given myself freely so that you will win. It's not about whether I win or not. It's whether you win. And I'm willing to leverage my life, lose my life, so that you can be saved. It said like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 24 and 33. Don't be concerned about your own good, but look for the good of others. I too try to please everyone in everything I do. I don't just do what is best for me. I do what is best for others so that many may be saved. I want to get to the place 
to where it's not about whether or not I think I've been treated fairly. I want to get to the place where I can wholeheartedly just serve and give myself and trust that God's going to take care of me. And then finally, create systems of generosity. Create systems of generosity. In your own life, create systems of generosity. Communication strategies with your spouse or with your neighbor or at work or in all your relationships. We have systems of generosity here. We've tried to create systems where it's easy for you to get involved and find your place and be blessed in that. That's what Growth Track is all about. That's what small groups are all about. And right now, behind the scenes, we have people working to create systems that will help our marriages stay strong and to help us move into our community and their foster care initiative and feeding of children who go to bed hungry. All of those things. We're creating systems. And I pray in your marriages, in your friendships, in your life, you have put in place a way, a strategy, a system where you can consistently be generous and where you trust God because His love is sustainable. His love is generous, consistent. He has given Himself away and He's promised If you'll follow me in that, if you'll give yourself away, I will take care of you. So there you go. It's a good lesson on generosity. So I pray you just take a step and get started. I want to pray with you. And then we're going to go into our time of communion and our time of receiving our offering. Lord God, oh, we want to be more generous. We want to be more loving in all of our interactions. Sometimes we're so calculated. We want to make sure that we're not going to get hurt before we take the first step. And sometimes we give ourselves permission to do nothing because we can't figure out in the end how we're going to win. Oh God, thank you. Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth and giving up your life. You did everything for us with no hope that we would even believe in you. But we do. And we want more people to come to know and trust you. And we're willing to have you take our life and use it for your purposes. And we trust that you'll protect us in that process. We want everyone saved. We want the children in our community to have a home. We want our marriages strengthened. We want the lost to be saved. This is not about us. It's all about you. And so we pray for more of you inside all of us. And that's why we offer this communion in this time right now. Thank you for your overwhelming love. In the name of Jesus, amen. If you're going to be serving communion, if you'll go ahead and go to the back. If you're a guest with us today, we do this at the end of every one of our messages where we just take the time to pass these simple emblems, these trays of bread and, and fruit of the vine. So it's in the shape of a cracker and juice. And we pass them down the rows. And, and, and you can participate or not. Everyone's welcome. Because it's just a very simple symbol that Jesus left behind. And he said, every time you eat and drink, 
You're going to declare my life, my mission, and my death, burial, and resurrection. And you're showing that you trust in me to take care of you. So as you eat and drink, you're really just saying, God, I want more of you inside all of me. And so we welcome you to do that. I'm just going to offer a prayer. And we're going to share in this communion. And then at the end, the band will be back up. And Savannah will come and and, uh, end our worship. We have our orange boxes in the back. So if you came today prepared to give with a check or money, we have orange boxes in the back and other places around the building where you can give. And by the way, have I told you thank you for your generosity yet? Let's pray. Lord God, in this moment, all we want to do is honor you. You came lived a perfect life and gave yourself away so that we could be saved. And we just want to tell you thank you. In this simple moment, we want to tell you thank you. And we want to live a life just like you. Thank you for your amazing grace. In the name of Jesus.